This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio um, when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Y- yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences. The page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Sean Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And today we got to get right into it. We got a lot to cover today. Big, 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 big episode. Big true crime well, special maybe you edition. Could just say big fewer times. I'll just so, say yeah, big. Started faster. Cover. <laughs> uh, how about I say bitch one or twice <laughs> along the way, young man? Well, that won't be a surprise to anyone. So we are doing a true crime special edition, and what that means is we, in the in the course of a single podcast episode, we are going to serve up three episodes in this case of a true crime documentary series. So it's a big treat. So it's a big treat. You do not have to have watched it. We're going to try to serve it up in a way that you will feel like you have watched it. Maybe you will be inspired to watch it, as Eric said last week. We will see. More will be revealed. But in the meantime, this is a big, giant, complicated story. And I feel like we should get right there. This is like multiple crime stories in one. What a mess. This is a Rico story. This is like, (laughs) my God. So I'm going to put you on the spot, Eric Shaw Quinn. We're talking about the Murdoch murders. The documentary series is called Low Country, The Murdoch Dynasty. It's available here in the U.S. on HBO Max. I don't know know what happens once we get outside the U.S. I didn't do that much research. Um, (laughs) To HBO Max or to the story? To... (laughs) To the story. I don't know where it's available on other platforms and other markets. I have no idea. I hope that you'll be able to find it, though. It is really fascinating. And I'm sure you can find it in your local, you know, in the papers. It's just one of those stories that's so expansive. How did you first hear about this story? You know what? I think it was the initial, the big murder thing started Right. There, there was the initial crime that was the the splashy headlines things. The double murder really started to get coverage. And because it had happened in a part of the world where my family still lives and where I used to live, um, I was 
intrigued, and as as you even suggested last week, I was wondering, um, is it something that I had um, connections is, to? Is it, of yeah, some sort. Did, yeah. Was there you... any sort of connection? I I worked a, a bunch with um, politics. Um, Back in the day. You um, were living in Columbia, South Carolina. Right. You were working in advertising, and you guys did a lot of political well, campaigns. Well, the firm that I worked for had done a lot of political campaigns, so I was connected. I was mainly like the fundraiser girl. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. we need a party for a fundraiser. Um, put it yeah. together. We did. They they um, the One of our clients was a local nightclub that was right across the street from the state capitol, and they declared the shag, the state dance. And I threw a party. I had the, I got it on the record um, in the South Carolina legislature that they adjourned to Bose, which was the name of the, the nightclub that's not there anymore. I think the whole thing's been torn down. But, um, but they came over, you know, and we threw a party to celebrate that mm-hmm. the shag was now the state dance, which is. You know, is it customary for a state to have a dance? You know, I don't know. I know I, there's a be, state jewel or a state bird. State birds, and I don't know about the jewels, but uh, yeah, we definitely they they had a state bird. States and they have, have jewels. They were, well, apparently you can have a state dance if you want to. I saw one thing with a little girl who was trying to get a state dinosaur mm. declared, which I thought was really um, very adventurous of her. Yes, indeed. A lot of free time on that little girl's hands. Um, uh, you know, I think that's what being a little girl is kind of about. Not anymore. Hope. They have it's all scheduled. They have they have scheduled free time between 5 and 5.15, and that's it. The rest is uh, you know, extracurriculars and homework and, and tweeting about their anxiety. That's it. That's all it. Okay, so the answer, do you want to wait to reveal whether or not you actually knew any of no, these people, or no, you I, didn't? I, I don't need to. Um, I, it was one of the things I satisfied myself of right early on was like, are these people I've connected to? These people were very regional. They were yes. from a part of the state that I don't really have... Um, much contact with the only thing I could think that might have been even sort of a scrape mm-hmm. with them was that story where I went with my my sister got a ticket got you know one of those on the um, on the freeway on the way home from somewhere and she mm-hmm. got a ticket and I think got arrested it was horrible and the guy she was with actually had to sort of pay her bond to, so that they could leave so that Jesus. she didn't have to stay in in jail. I blamed him. Mm. The guy who was was being kind of a jerk. He had taken her down to Charleston on a date, mm-hmm. and when they got there, wanted her to stay over on his sailboat. And she was like, "That's more than it's going to happen for you, pal." Right. A lot of air quotes yeah, happening in this. A lot of quotes. finger air yeah. quotes. He yeah. was really trying to. Yeah. yeah and so then he was. Your then he pants. was. Well, we can't leave because I'm too drunk to drive. She said, "Fine, I'll drive." Yeah. Because you know, okay, mm-hmm. you know that's fine. Yeah. And his. License maybe was expired, and <gasps> so oh, and dear. her maybe um, driver's license wasn't as current as it should have been, oh, or whatever. Okay. It was a bad. So they got pulled over for the speeding, and then the license, and then the license, and then the it right. became a bigger thing, and so he paid. So we went. We I went with her down to go to court, and it's that story that I always tell about my ability to just go over and go in and take over any situation. Yeah. They started having the court proceedings. I wasn't even actually, you know, I was sitting in the audience, if you will. Um, Sarah was up at the table and whatever, and the the guy said, well, the judge said something on the order of like, does anyone have anything that they anything else that they want to say or something? And I. 
got to my feet and said, started right in and was mm-hmm. like basically made the deal of like, can we just give you the the, the guy's money who mm-hmm. bailed her out and call it even because nobody was debating that she had done this. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was obvious. It was self-evident. Um, and he was like, he was, the judge was so stunned. Did he agree? Yeah. He was like, oh. well, well, yeah, I guess okay. we can do, I guess we can do that. Yeah, I was right. like, great. Well then we're fine. We don't have anything else. And he All was right. like, all right then. Next case, you know. <laughs> and we left. Right. We like so she signed whatever and we walked out, but that would have been that was on passing back through that area of the yeah. state and because these people were so interconnected with law enforcement in this right. region, maybe. That would have been the closest connection we ever got, but he wouldn't have been a murderer. He would have been way down the the chain and there criminal enterprise. So let's talk about who these people were. So in in this area of South Carolina known as the Low Country, they were they basically ran the prosecutor's office in Hampton County, which is a small area of the Low Country, but it sounds like one of the few I don't know populated. I'm not familiar with the Low Country of South Carolina, but it doesn't sound very populated. It sounds like this was a very small town and this was sort of the county seat for a big area. I don't think South Carolina is all that popular. Yeah, totally. Like, it's not a really crowded. The density level there is pretty low. So the Murtoch's historically were the solicitor, and the, and unlike a district attorney, they actually oversaw prosecutions in five counties, whereas a district attorney oversees prosecutions in one. Is that the distinction? That was a distinction they made, which was like Jesus. Um, in addition to that, which I don't think would be allowed in most other localities, they were running a private practice law firm in the same county, a personal injury practice. I just really don't think that's legit anywhere. That's, yeah. That was like, wow, that's really – yeah. South Carolina can be pretty shady. You can see it at election time, particularly presidential politics, but yeah. in general, their political – world is pretty murky. So you've got three generations of Murtaugh men who have held this position of solicitor. And the third one is Alex Murtaugh. And this is when I first heard about this story. Was Alex like Murtaugh. hundred years. Yeah, been so a hundred years. Yeah. These, all these counties. So Alex Murtaugh calls in a, frantically to 911 one night to say that he has at his hunting lodge discovered or hunting camp discovered the uh, bodies of his son, Paul, and his wife, Maggie, shot to death. And he sounds completely hysterical. And this is the story that put it on the news because it didn't take a lot of digging to go back into the family's recent past and discovered that they had been involved in a very suspicious boat accident that had killed a young woman. Well, the son had. The son, Paul, one of the victims of the shooting, had been involved in this boat accident. Um, and we go into all the play-by-play of the boat accident, and I don't know if that's my foot. I know, I'm, I'm that Christ. tall. You were 11 feet tall. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Taltos, I yes. literally put my feet down <laughs> underneath my own chair on the opposite side of this conference table where we're doing this and stepped on Christopher's foot. I'm sorry yeah. about stepping no, on No, you foot. didn't. It was, I was just surprised. You that knocked was... the, the ball of my foot. We're fine. Surprised we're fine. to have found feet there other than mine. Like, yeah, so I was asking, I don't know how much, how much detail we want to go into with this boat accident but it was i think a general sort of description of what happened because it was pretty heinous and also pretty obvious um the group of teenagers that were hanging out included um paul murtock who was the son of alex murtock okay this is i'd say the date on this also the victim of this shooting we're two years before the shooting the shooting takes place on june 8th 2021 that's when the story starts to really break in the press two years earlier this boat accident happened 
The Paul was hanging out with his girlfriend and his good friend Anthony. There are two Cook families involved in the boat accident story, which makes it very confusing to take notes about. It but does not appear. Of, it's that part of the world. It just doesn't appear that they're related yeah, either. It's yeah. like two friends. I'm surprised who, nobody was named Sheely. Like yeah. almost every every third person in South Carolina, I think, is named Sheely. Yeah. Um, it, then it's the night of February 24th, 2019. Uh, the group is very drunk. They're out on the boat. All the members of the group think that Paul Murtock is too drunk to be driving the boat and certainly too drunk to be drinking anymore, and he insists on stopping at a bar, pulling up to the dock of a bar, and the security cameras capture him. They go to a gas station. They're on. They're, there's abundant security camera documentation proving how drunk all these kids were. Right. Um, they go back out on the boat. Paul's behavior is becoming hostile, crazy. It reminded me of that you remember the guy from your, everybody probably has one, the guy from your younger days who would drive, do things driving the car that terrified you. Yes. And you were trapped in the car and you couldn't get out because you were going too fast and they were doing crazy, stupid shit. That's what he was doing with the boat. And they were really trapped because otherwise they would have to jump in the water. Yeah. And doing driving in circles and weaving around and going super fast and just terrifying them. And um, apparently Paul would do this all the time. He, he called his drunken alter ego Timmy. It was like an evil spirit that would take him over when he was wasted. A creature. Right, and he would spread his fingers out that Timmy's got control of me. And so he was in his Timmy phase. Um, what happens next is under some dispute because everybody involved is drunk and in this boat that's going a million miles an hour. But there is a belief that Connor, one of his friends, tried to wrest control of the boat from Paul. That they'd all had enough. They were freaking out. He was scaring the shit out of them. And that whether or not he had fully wrested control from Paul is unknown. What is known is that um, the boat hit a bridge. And when the boat comes out the other side of the bridge, one of the passengers is missing. And that passenger is Mallory Beach. And they can find no trace of her. They pull over to the nearest shore. The cops are called. Parents are called. It's an absolute panic. There is uh, dash cam footage of the boys yelling at each other. They're blaming it on Paul. Uh, Anthony, Paul's good friend, is breaking down immediately and telling the other cops, this kid's a Murtoch. Nobody's going to do anything about this. He's a Murtoch. His most powerful family in this area. All this sort of stuff. They, it doesn't take much to get right. them to this the breakdown story, point. While this is certainly a terrible event, it really becomes more a description of who the Murtochs were mm -hmm. or are or whatever. But they were so in control. They began shaping the narrative of this story. This becomes a way in which we understand how their influence in legal circles and law enforcement in this five-county area um, was so significant. And they, because one of their own, because his child, Paul, was involved in the, the, the wreck, Alex and his father mm -hmm. are at the hospital, maybe even before the ambulances start to right arrive, away. who begin and begins trying to shape the narrative to change the story and so, to keep Paul in, out of trouble. This becomes a pattern that we're going to see repeated across this special with this family, which is they show up before they should reasonably have cause right. at the scene of a crime to which they may have a personal connection. They sympathetically appear to contact one of the people involved and set them up with legal counsel at their personal injury firm. 
right? So they're able to get their way into a crime scene they shouldn't be on because of their influence through the solicitor's office. And then they start presumably trying to protect their own exposure in this crime by getting one of their own lawyers assigned to a right. confused, traumatized from person. from another firm. The, his number one choice right. was his, uh, his best friend, Alex's best friend from college, his roommate from college. Corey Fleming. At another right. firm. But yeah. he, was, he was frequently their go-to for the appearance of the impartial third party who was totally and completely in their camp and entirely invested in their own interests. So their agenda at the hospital is they want everyone to come down on the side of the story that Paul was not in control of the boat at the time it hit the bridge, that Connor had wrested control of the boat, right? Even though Connor is trying to wrest control of the boat because Paul is so out of his mind. So they want Connor to have to ultimately accept blame for what is increasingly looking Murder may not be the right word, but negligent homicide, yeah, right? Some serious charges. So they arrange for this lawyer, Corey Fleming, that you mentioned to uh, defend Connor. Connor's parents do not seem to have any idea of what they're getting into by agreeing to do this with the Murdochs. <laughs> Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? That depends. Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio, and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press. When a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon! Come get this seagull! I can't help it if my writing uh, sets the I, scene. I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice, now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? <laughs> Okay, so where we are is we're at the hospital after the boat crash. Mallory Beach is missing. 
Alex Murtock and his father are in there convincing everybody not to talk to the police. They've set up Connor, the boy that they want to take the fall for the boat accident, who they believe wrested control of the boat from Paul before it hit the bridge. They've set him up with a lawyer. As soon as Connor's parents discover the connections between their lawyer, their new lawyer, and the Murtaughs... That it used to be Alex's room college yeah. roommate, that they're that is the godfather of the other child or whatever, yeah. They fire him, but... When they go around looking for a lawyer to replace him, no one will take the job. And one of them even says, if Alex Murtaugh's father were alive, you wouldn't have to worry about any of this because he would have your son killed. So that's who we're talking about here with the Murdoch family. And that's what I meant when I said that while this is certainly an important case and not to be dismissed, this is just – they use this as a way to sort of – give you a sense of who it is we're actually dealing with. Um, and there, we can give you some more examples. They get access to the crime scene they shouldn't have. They're somehow involved in providing the trailer that takes the boat away they from the river. take the yeah. boat, yeah. which is the crime scene. I think, like, back to their house. They yeah. put it on a trailer and drive it away. Because it is, you know, technically their boat. But honestly... But that said, two months later, Paul is arraigned and charged with felony boating under the influence that caused a death, which is a specific crime in South Carolina. We should tell you how often that actually happens. He's facing 55 years in prison. The defense attorney claims that based upon the evidence, there's no way to prove that Paul was actually driving the boat in that moment. Paul's girlfriend even says Paul drove and he was intoxicated and then Connor took over. So it's one of those logistical leapfrogs where it's like he took over because you had already put the boat in a perilous path and a position. So to blame him for the boat accident when you, ugh. Anyway. Even Connor says he didn't remember who was driving at the point, at the point that the the thing happened. Although he said it wasn't him. Uh, The Murdochs uh, stop the bailiff from handcuffing Paul. Like, that's how much power they have. They just sort of put their hands up, and the bailiff doesn't put him in handcuffs. His bond is set at $50,000. He's never even formally booked. They just take him out in the hallway and take a mugshot there. In the hall. Yeah. I've never in my life, they took his mugshot in the hall at the courthouse. It's just sort of like, you know, a snapshot, like after the picnic. So the special, because we're going to do a lot of time travel, it's like we, we start to explore these various crimes at the time that the public discovered these crimes in the wake of this shooting that started everything. And really, while this crime was terrible and horrific and really took a toll on the, the family, it, it wasn't it did nothing. not really gain much it, it did not get much coverage. The girl eventually her body was found weeks later. Um yeah. like and there's just nothing like just it just kind of the kid went on to college and life went on with whatever and it did not get much press. Um, it wasn't until the double murder happened that things really that people sort of went who what what's going on what is up with this family yeah okay so then the double murder happens and the initial forensic evidence from the double murder suggests that Paul is the primary target of the shooting. And that Maggie interrupted the killer and became a witness. She was shot in the back in a manner that suggests she was running away from the scene. Okay. So we get those tidbits. And then it's three months later. And Alex Murdoch is changing a tire on the side of the road. And somebody drives by and shoots him in the head. 
allegedly. This is the story that we get. So now Alex Murdoch has been shot and three Alex, months later. Alex calls 911 yes. to report that he's been shot in the head. And he gives a description of the assailant as a, quote, white fella, younger than him, really short hair, but no gun is found. However, they discovered that Alex's tire was slashed, so it looks like the accident was staged to make him vulnerable to the shooting. Okay. The authorities determined that none of the people involved in the boat crash are suspects. We are told this in a single sentence, and they never explore it any further in this documentary. So either it was impossible or there's something there that they thought was going to distract from the narrative they were trying to sell us on. But I needed a little bit more information about their whereabouts because we had just spent a whole... We're now in episode two of this series. Episode one was all about the boat crash. So I needed to know, like... Were they in Brazil? Like, what were they you doing? Mean in the shooting, the double murder, when the, the killing of Paul. The No, the, the shooting of Alex, I thought, was when they said this, but it sort of relates to both. Like, where the fuck because, were they? Because, yeah, they were the, those were the people that were the initial suspects in the double murder, were the, were the, um, the people in the crime, because they had, the, the Murdoch family had kind of screwed them all over yeah. um, during the course of the process. But we also really hadn't scratched the surface and people who might have a murder a motive to to, to kill the Murdochs or, or whatever. But um, they were, that was what I thought they were suggesting was they couldn't. But the other thing that I think was um, that they were hinting at with that sort of broad dismissal mm-hmm. was the fact that from the time of the double murder fo- going forward, the investigation had been of Alex. Yeah. And they were very sure that that's who their guy was. And so everybody else was, I think, cursorily dismissed. Mm-hmm. But that's why it was so yeah, so tossed aside because I'm, I'm getting ahead of the way the story unfolds in the story. But because you make that point, I think the reason yeah. that they were so, yeah, yeah, no, that's not it, um, yeah. was because they were convinced right from the start. Because it turns out on July 8th, 2015, now we're, we're several years even below before the boat accident, right? We're going back in time. At 4 a.m., a 911 call came in. We're in the same area now of South Carolina uh, about a body in the roadway. And so suddenly we're interviewing a young woman named Stephanie Smith who describes how she drove her father to work and had to reroute around some cops that had blocked the road. And that she was going to take it. She thought it was she would be safe to take that way back because they would be gone after she dropped him off. They're not gone. So she calls her mother and says, yeah, I had to reroute. There's some police activity happening out on. It was this abandoned, not abandoned, but isolated country road. Right. And um, her mother basically says to her, you know, your brother hasn't come home yet. And that's when they both get a sinking feeling in their stomach and they re- they worry that it is her brother, Stephen Smith. And sure enough. That is who it is, and so we're given backstory about who Stephen is, and right away, my I, I did not know this case had a gay connection. We oh, didn't yeah. pick it. I had no idea. I did. You did? I had no idea. It turned out Stephen was this, not technically out, but pretty loud and proud young man living in this isolated what sounds like a very bigoted area. Well, it was a very small, small-minded, yeah. small-town kind of place. Uh, he had ambitions of becoming a nurse. He was sort of the ringleader of his outsider friend group at school. They interview his other friends who say he gave us the courage to kind of be who we were. Uh, pretty young man, very pretty, right. sort of like feathery blonde hair and like to show it off. Um He's found lying in the middle of the roadway with a severe blunt force head injury. Um, And right away, 
a Murdoch shows up. But this time it's a, and also there's no consensus about the their last name is spelled Murdoch with a D, but everybody says Murtoch. So I, I'm not actually how would you pronounce it? I would pronounce it Murdaw. Because that's how it's really written, but I don't know how they pronounce it would be a diff- would be the real telling story. But it's it's D A U G H, isn't it? Like D A U G H, yes. The, the most people seem to be pronouncing it as though it was Murdoch, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't seem to follow through. From I would pronounce it as Murdaw. Yeah, absolutely. Or Murdog. Um. So this is okay. There's a, the entry of Randy, who was a new Murdoch, who was never we haven't talked about. He doesn't come up in the context. Of He's the Alex's accident. brother. He's Alex's brother. He shows up at the scene. Now there is a connection, though. Like I'm looking over my notes. I, this is like the GIF with the guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with the red string. Um, he's there before he should be. Um, he's doing the same thing that the family did at the hospital where he's offering legal representation, I believe, to Stephen's father, Joel, who is the one who has to go into the police station with his daughter, Stephanie, to identify the body, right? Why he would need representation in this particular case, it's not clear. But I think it's about trying to insert themselves into the investigation. But the thing that everybody is trying to do, that the Murdoughs are trying to do and that the law enforcement is trying to do, I think at their behest, is to say that this was hit and run. And we have a state trooper to thank for showing up and saying, no, it wasn't. There's Absolutely no not. broken glass on the roadway. There no There's parts no, no any car parts. There's no, he has blunt force head trauma. His, um, typically, we get very gruesome descriptions over the resulting interviews because more and more state investigative authorities start to come in to investigate this. The MAID, I think it's called, or MATE, it's, and that's an acronym for something, probably, I don't know what it's for, but it's like the state. I don't know. Uh, I can't remember. Car SLED accident. is right. the only one I remember. South Carolina Law Enforcement Division or something with SLED, but that's all I remember. So the the facts that they do have are his car is parked off the side of the road, some ways back from where he's found. Uh, quite a distance. The gas cap is off the tank. Um, his wallet is in the car. So the story that they want us to believe is that he ran out of gas and he started hiking for gas. Well, the problem is he was headed in the opposite direction of the gas station and he didn't have his wallet. And his sister, Stephanie, also says, we walked those country roads all the time and he was never hesitant to jump straight into the woods to avoid a car. She said he was more afraid of being hit by a car than whatever might be waiting for him in the woods. Right, because it's dark and isolated. I would consider that a toss-up myself, but I'm a city boy. Yeah, Um, yeah. in this hit-and-run, his phone wasn't even cracked. Right. Like, there was was no skid marks. Right. There was no, he didn't have any of the sort of bodily injuries that you would expect from any, any other part of his body. He had some, he was skinned a little bit on his um, arms and legs, but but only a little, like from falling. Right. And because there's been this declaration of hit and run early on, his car is not subjected to any forensic testing. They don't test it for DNA. They don't know if somebody else was in that car with him. They don't know. They don't know. They don't no. know because they've come up with this false story. But the state, to their credit, is not buying it. You know, they're not. They're sending out further investigators and they're discovering all the things that you just said. And his family is not buying it. So, um, they're also saying that in the weeks leading up to his death, Stephen was acting secretive and was telling people that he had taken up a relationship with a very powerful whatever. And I'm not going to give my theory of what was really going on because I think you're going to have your theory and I think we have the same I theory. I think we do too. And it gets to the end of this and I don't think they even saw it. I don't think they yeah, get it either. Yeah, I don't think they get it. So we'd be getting stuff yeah. here at TDPS. Okay, so um, the story is that Buster, 
Murdoch, Paul's older brother, who we've seen up until this point in family photos, but has not been interviewed. We haven't heard much about him, was in this relationship with Stephen because they were occasionally in school together and played Little League together when they were little boys and the father coached the team. They were contemporaries. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, you know, it's a lot of rumor and innuendo. It's a lot of somebody told me, somebody told me because Paul, uh, Stephen, excuse me, never identified whoever the individual was by name. This really reminded me of the Jesse Valencia story. Do you remember that when we covered that yes. early on, you know? And I, I, I just, I'm going to tell you, I'm not victim blaming here, but I'm going to tell my, my young queer brothers out there, if you're living in a hostile, bigoted place and you're in a relationship with somebody dangerously closeted, um, don't attempt to blackmail them or out them unless you have a good plan to protect yourself because we have heard this story a lot. It does yeah. not end well. It's not a good story. Yeah. It's never good to threaten somebody. Yeah, if you give somebody something, put somebody in a position where they think they have nothing to lose, they get really dangerous. Really dangerous. And that was a law enforcement story, but it was the same kind of thing. If it's yeah. somebody really prominent and powerful or who could get power over you easily... Even if it's not, even yeah. if it's just a regular person threatening somebody with that, withouting, um, in order to get your way in the relationship no. is a dangerous choice. And the Jesse Valencia story was a young man threatening a married police officer. So, you know, really, and it didn't end well for anybody. Okay. Not a bit. So before Stephen died, what he was telling people is he was going to go on a deep sea fishing trip with this person. And... Um, so we get all of this in the course of a single episode, and then a title card at the end tells us that Buster has never been charged with any crime and has not been interviewed by law enforcement in connection with these events. Um, we're also told that Stephen's dad died of a broken heart shortly after Stephen did, that he died in his sleep, presumably of a heart attack, I believe. And he, to his dying day, told people that the Murdochs killed his son because he was gay. And he claimed, I know my son, and my son was seeing Buster. All right. Whew. <laughs> and that's yeah. two and episodes. And this is just like, oh, my God, really? Because we start with this whole boat thing and the whole RICO family legal practice. Um, yeah. Back and forth where they're the prosecutor and the defense attorney at the same time. And they're, they've got all of the law enforcement in these five counties in their hip pocket. And then— um, Add into that, and then suddenly there's this story about um, about the the Smith kid, and it's like, what? And I'm thinking, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Where are we? Um, and I'm yeah. thinking, okay, so that's that's it for past crimes. We're going to get back to the shooting of Paul and Maggie, and that's going to be the third episode. Oh, and no. it's like, oh wait, oh no, there's oh, no. No, no, no. another crime and they keep interviewing people from the media in and around you know as the sort of talking heads in and around the special and they're all like and every time you think you've gotten to the end of the story no it doubles back and then something else happens and it really is one of those stories where you go oh my god i, I mean really and just two facts though about stephen smith before we move on to chapter three of this is that the the investigation into his death was reopened after the shootings in uh, 2021. Isn't that interesting? Yes, exactly. And then, back in the present, there is an arrest of someone who they claim is the shooter of Alex Murdoch on the side of the highway, and he does not match the description Alex gave to the police at all. (laughs) 
I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. I am I am overcome with all of the the intrigue and the complexity. I need a little. I need a fan. I need a cotillion fan to be. This is this story is just all over the place. This is so low country. It's so country. It was mm-hmm. really. It was really a trip back to a part of my life where it's like, oh, I remember worlds like this. Mm-hmm. I remember the the family who was the name who everything was named after, including the county or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's just. It was so like, yeah. Mm, yeah, I, I thought you this. were going to have that reaction. I remember this world also because it's South Carolina. The accents were very oh, yeah. familiar and there was that sort of thing. It's more, I was, uh, in my parents are in Columbia and I was up more further upstate. The low country is beautiful. I spend a lot of time vacationing there, but mm-hmm. not my part of the state. So there was some difference, but but it was still very reminiscent of. Is Charleston in the low country? Oh, yeah. Okay. Charleston and Beaufort, the part of South Carolina that people are probably most familiar with, I don't know that they'd count Myrtle Beach. Myrtle Beach is the other end of the Mm – South Carolina is kind of a triangle. Right. And one corner, the upper right-hand corner is Myrtle Beach, and the lower right-hand corner is really what I would call – the, the low country, that's Buford and Charleston, and it's it's getting towards Savannah. It's mm-hmm. that part of the that part of the state. Yeah, because there are the people away. who end up at hospitals in Savannah in this story, and it's like, oh, they must have been really close, yeah. It's really close. Yeah, really close. Okay, so um, in the present, what we're calling the present, which is as this, the murders of uh, Maggie and Paul Murdoch and Alex's roadside shooting, so he's been taken into custody now because the shooter is claiming, or he and the shooter, I guess, in tandem, the shooter's name is Curtis Smith, who looks just out of his mind when just they arrest him. Just completely Fruit Loops. It's like, oh my God, did he come from Central Casting? Like, you have got to be kidding. You can't possibly really look like this. So the story that they're presenting is that out. this was a suicide plot. Alex wanted his son, Buster, at this point, to get his life insurance, which he felt he couldn't if he killed himself, and that he was suicidal because he is massively addicted to opioids. Okay, so that's the story that's emerging. But everyone's like, oh, whoa, 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 and whoa. He, and he hired this guy who was a former client and like a handyman, right. kind of an ex-con character or kind of legally murky character who he's been, who's been sort of his go-to guy, his, uh, you know, fix this and fetch that and that sort of thing, hires, offers to pay him to shoot him. Yeah. And he shoots him badly, which is what happens when you hire someone who's not experienced at shooting people to shoot you. They don't shoot you well enough, I guess. Well, I have no experience with he, this. The guy Thank says God. that the, the guy really doesn't back 
Alex up. It's yeah. not really one of those things. It's it that what what seems to be emerging is that Alex shot himself and then tried to blame this other guy. He staged the entire thing and then made up this outrageous story that he'd hired this guy, thinking that he could pay the guy off to tell him to say that he had that Alex had hired him to shoot himself. To, oh my god! I, and it's like I, we've reached a point where it's like. I don't even know what the what's your end game here. Like, yeah. what's the good? What's the upside of this plan? Because if you didn't plan to actually kill yourself, how does this benefit you? Unless it's about staging the opioid addiction mm-hmm. and trip to um, to um, rehab as a as a get out of jail free card for what's coming next. Yes. Because what's coming next is that people are like, oh, the Murdochs, I remember them in 2018. So we're now a year before the bus accident and several years after the death of Stephen Smith. Or the, the boat the accident. Boat accident. No, I was like, sorry. the bus. I always spit my tea. In Don't the add a bus accident. We can't handle anymore. No, oh no my more. God. There were no buses. It was just the boat, just the one. Um, Maggie Murdoch. Who, which, if you remember, was shot at the beginning of this special, um, calls 911 because her housekeeper has fallen and she has cracked her skull open and her head is bleeding on the front steps of the house. And the, um, this, the, the, we, as it comes to be re- revealed, the 911 operator calls back to try to get more information about her condition and I guess gets Paul on the phone. I thought Maggie just handed off the phone to Paul because yeah. she was done with her pod. And so she's the, the 911 dispatcher is asking questions. Here's the thing, and here's the thing we've learned. We've all gone through this. If the 911 dispatcher starts asking you a bunch of questions, it's not because they doubt your story, which is where most people go. And it's not because they're delaying sending anybody. They've usually already dispatched someone, but they're trying to get information. And so Paul pulls this, why are you asking all these questions? Can't you just send someone? And what he doesn't say is anything to support the story that they later give police, which is that the housekeeper was knocked off the front steps by a dog. A wild dog, one of their dogs, who just went crazy, who she'd been around apparently her whole career, but then suddenly just knocked her off they the board. They have a bunch of hunting dogs. Yep. The, um, the hunting lodge that they're talking about is actually adjacent to this house, the one where the, the double murder happens two years later, yeah. or three years later, after this particular incident. Anyway. So the response to this incident is that Alex Murtock sets the housekeeper's children up with, remember Corey Fleming, the lawyer that he tried to force on the cooks in the hospital after the boat accident? Okay, and they aren't as with it, and they don't realize they shouldn't trust Corey, and they don't know his connections. No, and, and so what Murdoch has said, because she's the long-term, she was, this is like, she raised the, the boys. Right. She raised Buster and, and Alex, no, Paul. She raised Buster and Paul, and so she's been with the family a really long time, and, and Alex goes to them and says, look, I've lots of insurance here, and you know I want to get you guys some money. I want you guys to be taken care of. Now that so I'm going to get you this lawyer, and he's going to help you to get some money out of these insurance companies for your mom's death. And apparently, what the lawyer told those boys was, "We couldn't get you anything. Sorry." But what they actually got out of the insurance company was 4.3 million dollars, which Corey Fleming shuttled to a fake bank account. Just the funny for Alex Murdoch, and they gave it. 
the name they gave it a similar name to a legitimate um what do they call it uh it's like a, a settlement funding right. company yeah. right which handles settlement funding so if anybody checked the books it would look like they had an actual legitimate payout that went yeah. in through legitimate name, channels the name of the legitimate company was forge and so alec just went to one of his friend alex just went to one of his friends banks and says i want to open a, an account for myself as alex murder doing business as forge right. and so the check was made out to forge and it just goes right into his personal account and then off to God only knows. And he was able to get this account without the necessary approvals and protocols because one of, he was friends with one of the board members of Palmetto State Bank, Russell Lafitte. So he was able to skip all these things that might have red flagged the right, transaction. Because of who he is, because of being that family. That's what I'm telling you. This is a RICO organization. I mean, for investigation. real. Investigation, honestly. So October 14th, 2021, Alex is... There. So... Alex's sentence, or, or I guess his arraignment, resulted in him being sent to drug rehab. And then they said, you can go to rehab, but if you leave rehab, you're you're going to be arrested. And so he's in rehab, and they, after all this surfaces in connection with the housekeeper's death, they arrest him, I think in Florida is where the rehab was. And they go down and they get him. He now has 23 charges of stealing from his clients in well, addition. more than that. But addition, yeah. I think it starts to go Once up. Once they started investigating it, just up it went. Each, he's, he's charged, October 14th, 2021, he's charged with two counts of obtaining property by false pretense in connection with the housekeeper's death. And then 23 new charges of stealing from his own clients surf, surface in response to that. There's also accounts of money going missing after tragic deaths. I don't know if you caught this. But this was super weird, and the special didn't dive into this. One of the pictures, they're putting pictures of people who have alleged they have lost money. Um, was the, the state the, trooper, the state trooper yes. who showed up at Stephen uh, Knight's death and said, this is not Stephen a hit Smith. and run. Stephen Smith, excuse me. Why, why They never made anything of that connection, and maybe they just didn't have the time for it, but like I don't I, know. This was pretty jam-packed, so yeah, but I was really taken aback by that when I saw his picture. I was like, he's one of the people they cheated? My yeah. God. Most of the victims were poor and minorities. Um, he stole $10 million total. If he's convicted, he faces 150 years in prison. The question, then this was an interesting part of the special, and I would be I would be curious to hear your take on this. They went to a where is the money place, that he didn't live a flashy lifestyle. Where did the $10 million go? Right. The lifestyle seemed fairly flashy to me. Like, I, you know, like there's images of them getting on a private plane early in the special. Like, Yeah, they weren't living, they weren't like living in... in a, a modest, quiet little existence, and they said they enjoyed nicer things, but they also didn't have the, you know, hundred million dollar house or something. There was, you know, they had a lot right. of land and a lot of holdings, and there was, you can never tell where that money is, you know, like they probably were buying up more and more and more of those five counties. Yeah, totally. Um, but it, hell, it could be in, um, uh, the Bahamas. It could be yeah. in the Grand Cayman Islands because, you know, we've also got what we think. And if you're planning a little double life and you're planning mm -hmm. to get away, mm -hmm. it's nice to have some money to run with. Exactly. So, But the special goes back to the murder that started this entire coverage, which is the shooting of Maggie and Paul. And we meet the defense attorney. The defense attorney's been there right along delivering this sort of family line yeah. when his laconic sort of But he course. does so in the most Absolutely. sincere he's a good lawyer. I would I would hire him. Yeah. He was very convincing because on the flip side, we were being just told everything about this horrible family who was guilty of absolutely every 
obviously guilty. And then they go and talk to this lawyer and you think, yeah, they really aren't getting a very fair shake. And oh, yeah. he gave you the immediate impression he was good. Yeah. So the story that they want to present, that the defense wants to present at the night of the murders, is that the family was getting along perfectly and they all had dinner together at their hunt, at hunting lodge. It was a lovely house out in the country. Well, the but... house and the hunting lodge are two different places. Oh, you're right. That's where I got confused. There was a, the hunting lodge is on the property. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big property. So we're, we're shown security camera footage and we're told that cell phone location data confirms the general movements of the family the way Alex has described it. That they got together, they had dinner, then Maggie left the house, which we see happen, to go run the dogs, which I guess is what you call walking the dogs when you have multiple acres. Right. That She went to what is the hunting lodge, but she had to drive there. So it was a distance from the house. Okay. It wasn't just going out back to walk the dogs. She drove to... Where where the dogs were kept right. to let them out into, I guess, the pens to run. But it, yeah. it was a rather substantial kennel because yeah. they were apparently big hunters. I, I, yeah. It's popular in that part of the country because there's really nothing else to do. Yeah, totally. Oh, well, Rico stuff. Kill, that kill hunting, people and swindle kill people. people. Those are, yeah. Swindle people and drink. I remember. That's yeah. what I did when I was there. Uh-huh. The drinking, not the not the killing people. I never yeah. killed anybody. Swindling. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't swindle anybody. Well, we just aren't as good enough at math to swindle anybody. We swindle people into buying our stories. Right. Okay, so... Um, the Alex's story is that he lay down on the couch, watched TV, and fell asleep. Then he wakes up at 9 p.m. and he wants to go check on his mother, who is basically bedridden and living with dementia. This is where I got confused. There's later a conversation that nobody can verify that Alex really went to visit his mother, but he references a nurse's aide. And d- who has to let him into the house, which I thought was Talk to her. Yeah. a little contradictory. But the point of the story really is that nurse's aide or not, his alibi for the time of the murders was that he was with somebody who has dementia. You yeah. can't really say that he went in there and then sneaked out the back, got in his car and drove over and did the murder and came back and sat down back next to his mom yeah, right. and then said goodnight to the, to the, nobody can, the person who could really say where he was can't really say where he was. Yeah. Um, he says that he returns to uh, the house. He finds no sign of Paul or Maggie. So he drives down to the dog kennel. That's where he finds Paul's body first, turns him over, sees that he's been shot twice. Maggie is outside. We we then meet the forensic analyst who confirms stuff that we were told earlier. The, the murders are extreme overkill. Um, Paul is shot at close range with a shotgun, I believe. Two weapons are involved. There's an AR-15 and a shotgun. So um, Maggie is shot mostly with the AR-15. Paul is shot at close range with the shotgun. The suggestion is that more than one person was involved in this murder. Maggie interrupted it, was chased, and gunned down. Um, the uh, the forensic guy wants to talk about blood mist, which happens. AR-15 bullets move so quickly that when they hit a target, if you're standing close to it, you will be sp- not sprayed but misted with the blood of the target. The defense attorney dismisses all evidence that ever blood on clothing, there's no such thing as forensic evidence about blood splatter it's on clothing. Junk it's science. junk science. Obviously, in re- helping his, right. trying to help his child and his wife, he would get blood on himself, but that would be the only blood that would be there, and everything else is junk science, which of course he would say, but that was the point at which he departed from my being able to believe him anymore. It's like, yeah. oh, okay. Because. Because there are other people who say 
this marriage was not going well. Maggie was living at the beach house because the scandal of the boat accident had driven her out of town. She was living at Edisto, so she wasn't even yeah. living in, I think this was in Colleton? Or was it, anyway, it was in Hampton. You, you've gone deep Colton South County, Carolina. She's in that yeah. region, but she was at the beach and he was in the, at their house. And as we all know, if you're a big white collar criminal, nothing will expose your crimes like a divorce proceeding. So if she was considering a divorce. They were going to have to go through his finances. And and once they started looking at his finances, they would see all of these swindles he had been doing all of these years. So it would have been really bad for him. So he's finally charged with murdering his wife and son. And this is really kind of where this special ends, where the story is not resolved. There's a title card at the end that says, Corey Fleming and Russell Lafitte each face over 20 charges tied to Alex Murdoch in a series of financial crimes. Both are awaiting trial and maintain their innocence. Alec has been charged with 90 counts, there's the number you were looking for earlier, of criminal activity, including the murders. On May 27th, 2022, in a confession of judgment, he admitted to stealing the $4.3 million from his longtime housekeeper's family. He is awaiting trial and maintains his innocence on all other charges. It is time to hear Eric Shaw Quinn's theory of the case, and I think it's the same one I have. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. We go back to 2015 and mm-hmm. to the murder of... Um, Stephen Smith, mm-hmm. and Stephen Smith claimed that he was seeing somebody prominent yes. and powerful in the county, and I think that person was not Buster. I think it was Alex. Alex. Yes. I was sitting there like, why has nobody made this connection or assumed this? $10 million embezzled from his clients, not one hint of a mistress or a girlfriend, not one woman coming forward saying, Alex was flying me to Vegas on the weekends, not one. Not one. Not one. And the young man was talking about they were going to go deep sea fishing together. Deep sea fishing. Buster's not going to take him deep sea fishing. And this, the rumored story is that, um, and it stood up as a story even if you didn't believe Buster and Stephen were in a relationship, is that Buster and his friends are driving in a, in a pickup truck down that road. They say Stephen walking. They turn around and stick something out the window of the car that hits him in the head yeah, and strikes him dead. Yeah, he got hit in the head with a, a yeah. two-by-four as somebody was driving by. That... I that I don't know that I don't that may be a possible description of how the crime was done. Yeah, but but like it doesn't mean Buster did it. It doesn't in any way implicate Buster or anybody else. It also doesn't mean he didn't do it. Like right. those boys could the two brothers could have been in on yeah. the killing in some sort of revenge capacity because dad is cheating on mom with this guy and yeah. we're going to kill him or he's threatening dad or you know what I mean like and the, then in the hospital after the boat accident he's saying get me off this or I'll tell people about Steven and what we did to cover it up although he is quite Paul is a bit younger in 2015 but still yeah but still it is just really whatever and I or he catches um or Alex catches um no, or Paul catches Alex killing his mother because, yeah. uh, because he needs to, and then so he kills Paul because he's killing his mother. the The money is offshore where he can take mm-hmm. Stephen or what go live his life as the person he wants to be. The roommate from college is his um, big co-conspirator, mm-hmm. I don't know that he's not his lover. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. it just, there was an aspect to that side of it. The Stephen, the Stephen Smith component introduced that aspect to this crime, and I don't think anybody is paying any attention to it. They're mm-hmm. all trying to link up Buster, who seems 
like completely if anybody in this is innocent it's probably busted right yeah um the, the i think the most successful thing the documentary does as a piece by itself is playing these recorded prison conversations between Buster and Alex yes. and just letting them sit by themselves. And the, the the real ending of the documentary is they're talking on the phone. Everything has gone down. He's charged with everything. We've heard it all at this point. And he says, do you want to go? He says to Buster, do you want to go out to the property and hunt? Because yeah. there are these old uh, the feeders that have not been tended to, and they're probably deer all over, and you can go out there and shoot deer. And you can hear it in Buster's voice like, you're suggesting I go out to where my mother and brother were gunned down and hunt to go shooting. He doesn't say that, but he's like, "No, I don't. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go back to that house." And you're hearing somebody. Alex has no, is not connecting to this property where this crime happened. As if it's this horrible scene of his family's complete no. obliteration. It's like he's not all there. This man is not it's all there. It's just a complete departure from any sort of connection to. Like I even thought, are we dealing with somebody who's not acknowledged or being treated for being somewhere on the spectrum who's just yeah. not able to connect with people or like he doesn't seem like a sociopath but maybe he is or yeah. a psychopath you know maybe his his there maybe there is some mental illness that's involved that's not so pronounced that he seems extreme i, I don't even think i think that the um the the rehab and the 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 addiction is bullshit. I don't even think mm -hmm. he is. Yeah. Like he may have used them, but I don't think that has any bearing on anything that's happened. I think it was just him trying to come up with a way to get out of jail, free himself Sorry. out of the uh, out of the responsibility for the crimes, but I even the shooting by the side of the road I think was a sham to set himself up as seeming suicidal. Let me ask this. This was something that occurred to me in in the the wake of the boat accident, and then the security camera footage from the hospital. We see that Alex's father, so like generation two, there are three generations of Murdochs. This is the second generation is with him and working with him, and then his father completely disappears from the picture. Did his, I wonder if his father passed away in the interim? There was no sense of that. Like yeah. with the time when he goes to visit his mother. They said of it that it was one of his two ailing parents. So I don't think mm. his father is like up and around, is participating yeah. to the extent that he was during the boating accident. But I think that he's not 100%. Yeah. I, he could have passed away. I mean, I really didn't research it, but I think he's not gotten involved in a lot of this because maybe Alex kept him out. Maybe he mm -hmm. wouldn't have put up with it. Like it yeah. was his firm and now it's Alex's. So. Yeah. Maybe he's still a partner and could have, you know, kicked mm -hmm. Alex out or yeah. called him out for his. The firm shady does eject dealings. Alex at some point. Yeah. The firm. So there's some structure at the firm beyond Alex, some authority beyond Alex right. and beyond the family, it sounds like. But, or as you're saying, maybe it is members of the family. Maybe members of the family because there's yeah. still Randy, who also wasn't mentioned much. And it and who continues I still to. still working at the firm and still yeah, in charge. Continues to insist that he didn't have advanced wording of, uh, word of Stephen's death and all that sort of stuff. So, like, I, to get to the end of three episodes and realize we weren't going to get much closure was was frustrating. But at the same time, the depth of what we did get was like, Jesus Christ, this story. And there's a series. There's a series. Wait, wait, wait. There wait. was an announcement in Variety that there's going to be a series. Wait, like a dramatized yes. series? Oh, my God. The Murdoch murders are going to be a series. Oh, on, my on, God. I Beware. think it's Hulu. I think Hulu. it's Hulu. Yeah. They're uh, all doing them. 
They're all doing them. Who? I mean, not a Murdoch series, but they're all getting into the true crime game. Peacock's got a bunch because we saved Peacock. If you don't know, we saved it personally right. here at TDPS. Um, so yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. So a quick check. Yes, a dude, Variety says Hulu is in developing a scripted series based on the Murdoch family. Wow. So there yeah. you go. Yeah, there's. I, I don't necessarily recognize the players at this point. It's just showrunner and writers and the, that sort of producers. Who's the showrunner? Do added they say? What you call it? Um, Michael D. Fuller, Aaron Lee Carr, and Nick Antosca. Know any of those people? Nick Antosca's name looks familiar from title sequences, but I don't know who he is. I don't know them personally, and, and their work doesn't immediately spring to mind. But okay, I'm, I'm scanning down. They they own a company called Eat the Cat, which I think is really funny. <laughs> you think that's a riff on Save the Cat? Cat, that screenwriting guy that drove us all crazy. A, 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 an assault yeah. on that. Um, they recently worked on the Netflix series Lock and Key. Mm, okay. Um, the Apple series The Mosquito Coast. Oh, God. Okay. Sundance yeah. TV series Rectify. My mom was a big Rectify fan. Right. Yeah. So next week, we're doing a new edition of Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club. And standard disclaimer, you know I'm going to do it. I do it every time. Just in time. You don't need to watch the episode. We're going to serve it up for you in such detail. But if you do want to watch the episode, it is season one, episode five of a Discovery ID program called Dead of Winter. Right. It's seasonal favorites. And it's called Last Christmas. So until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. This is TDPS.